Welcome to the latest episode of Down to Business, the Ohio Chamber podcast. Today, we're going to focus on housing and have a discussion around the housing needs of Ohio. I'm Tony Long, General Counsel and Director of Taxation and Economic uh, Policy for the Chamber of Commerce. Before I introduce my guest today, I want to start with some housing numbers in Ohio to kind of set the stage for this conversation. Central Ohio is expected to grow to 3.25 million people by 2050. Housing starts in Central Ohio need to start around 14 to 15,000 units per year to keep up with this growth. Right now we're doing seven, sometimes 9,000 per year. Ohio also needs nearly 250,000 units for extremely low income renters. That uh, makeup is 24% disabled, 23% seniors, and 35% able-bodied workforce. So we have a lot of issues uh, here in Ohio uh, to meet this housing need of our citizens. So to join me today for a conversation on our housing needs, I want to welcome Senator Bill Blessing, Representative Dunny Isaacson to the podcast to discuss the housing needs of Ohio. I'll let you uh, gentlemen introduce yourself uh, to the audience. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me, uh, Tony. I'm State Senator Bill Blessing. I represent the 8th Senate District, which is uh, western Hamilton County as well as the northern suburbs. Uh, And I'm very happy to be here because I I am firmly of the belief that housing is our our number one issue that we uh, have to fix in Ohio, and uh, it is certainly an urgent need. And this is State Representative Dunny Isaacson, also from Cincinnati, from a neighboring uh, part of town. I represent downtown Cincinnati uh, and then over to the west side of town, all the way along the river uh, to the easternmost part of the city. And just really grateful to be here. Uh, I share Senator Blessing's belief that housing is an issue that we have to do do better on if we're going to actually make meaningful improvements in the lives of the people we serve. So excited to be here. Thank you both. Um, so I think back in April, uh, we started this conversation and we talked about the idea of how to increase housing stock in Ohio. And we'll get into the specific issues surrounding Senate Bill 76 that kind of started the conversation, but I want to zoom out a bit to the larger issue of scarcity housing stock. Uh, have you both been focused on this issue as a priority and, and how did it re- originally come to your attention? Um, thank you for that, uh, Tony. Um, yes, I've been focused on this as uh, one of my, my big priorities in the Senate. Um, you know, it's not just Senate Bill 76. I also have Senate Bill 36 uh, out there as well. Um, it came to my attention actually somewhat recently. Um, after the pandemic, I started getting a lot of emails and calls from constituents about uh, large institutional housing investors uh, buying up properties, uh, you know, uh, jacking up rents significantly. And I started uh, uh, researching the issue online and going down the rabbit hole as uh, one typically does when they get online and found that there is, you know, this has been actually not just a recent phenomenon that I originally thought started with the pandemic, but, you know, goes back years and decades uh, and includes a, a large underbuild. And since, looking around, and this is before I had connected with uh, State Rep. Isaacson, uh, I didn't really see a lot of my colleagues working on the housing issue uh, at the state level. So um, I wanted to make it my own and, and, you know, dive into it and see how I could be helpful. 
And, you know, I came to this my before uh, starting in the Ohio House. This is my, my first term, so I've only been at it uh, six months now. I ran a community engagement business that really focused on lifting up the voices of people living the issues every day. And I spent dozens of evenings over those five or six years sitting in rooms, talking to people, and listening to them explain how housing was the central obstacle in their life. And I remember one woman talked about going from empty warehouse to empty warehouse to friend's couch to her car with her three kids who I, who I know. And you sort of might assume that, well, she's, she's probably in between jobs. She's you know, struggling to find work. Well, no, she actually had a full-time job as a manager at one of the central Cincinnati McDonald's, but could not afford housing for her and her kids. And it's, it's, it was an example for me of the way that housing and housing issues reflect all the ways in which society isn't always working for people. Our jobs aren't paying enough. There's not enough housing. The scarcity creates um, higher prices. There's also probably not enough regulation on landlords. There's exploitative practices going on. You often see higher rents in some of the worst quality housing neighborhoods. How does that happen? You would think price would be related to quality. Right? It's because of re- the relative power people have. Uh, and those are all policy choices, ultimately. So I was so excited to uh, connect with Senator Blessing when I got here and really start thinking through how can we make a dent on some of these issues. Yeah, to that point, I mean, that's why I kind of... Um, mentioned the statistics on the need for extremely low income renters. There's a, maybe a stigma around what those um, stats are, but you know, it's 23% of our seniors need that kind of housing. 24% of that housing is for disabled. And then, you know, to your point, a representative, 35% of that makeup is able-bodied workforce that just can't um, find the housing that they can afford, which Leads me into a recent Zillow report that I found amazing that Cincinnati now has the highest rent. Uh, its rent is rising faster than anywhere else in the country. And you think of places like Boston and San Francisco, and here in Ohio, it's Cincinnati kind of uh, leading the pack. So while many of the issues facing the scarcity of housing that helps rise the rents and, and home prices and makes housing less affordable uh, for many Ohioans, it really comes down to some local issues and solutions. So here in Columbus, what can we do at the state level that either help our locals or provide solutions that uh, could lead to more housing? Well, you know, this is the second year in a row Cincinnati has had a summer where it was the fastest uh, growing rent. So this is this is not a new trend. And so it's, it compounds on itself, right? Housing has continued to just be so out of reach for so many people. There are a huge number of families in Ohio paying more than half of their income on rent. And if you also have a kid under the age of five, almost 100% of your income is going to rent or child care which doesn't leave much for housing or for food or transportation or any other items that you need. Uh, and so, you know, here in the state house and as policymakers, there's a, a few things we can do. One, we can focus on the supply side so we can encourage denser housing being built. We can look at incentivizing more inclusionary zoning. One of the things that cities have done uh, for the last hundred years, but especially since the end of uh, legal housing segregation has been to use exclusionary zoning, single-family zoning, 
to maintain some elements of either class or race-based housing segregation. And we see it, which shows up in our cities today. So what we, 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 what we want is denser housing. We want uh, diverse housing. We, we have great data that if you come from a low-income background, you're going to grow up to make more money and be healthier if you are raised in a diverse uh, neighborhood by income, right? If you go to a diverse school uh, by income rather than a segregated school. So we know there's benefits to increasing the supply, but there's also a question of how do you help on the demand side? How do you help people pay for it? And and this is where, you know, I'll kick it over to Senator Blessing because he's been so thoughtful on this. But, you know, when the federal government gave all this money to help people pay for rent during the pandemic, it helped for the first year. And then basically most landlords baked it into their, their cost and they increased rents. And so we're seeing that in Cincinnati at, at the most extreme. So just giving people money to pay for rent isn't going to solve the problem unless you're also dealing with what is fundamentally an exploitative system in so many ways that captures the rent from the people actually paying it. And so they don't see the benefit. So as policymakers, we need to be focused on the supply side and making sure that we're getting more housing out there, but also dealing with what are unfair market practices. And, and the senator has been leading on that. Uh, well, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, amen to many of uh, uh, the points that you've uh, just raised, uh, Representative Isaacson. Um, and I'll start with, with your comments on, on the rent and child care issue and how much money uh, is spent by your, your average family on, on those two things. And, and I would just, you know, tell the business community, since we're, you know, on an Ohio Chamber uh, podcast, that it's uh, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, difficulty finding workers, and a lot of times the discussion is around uh, workers below the, you know, $20, $25 an hour uh, wage. And, you know, if you have rent and child care costs skyrocketing, you're going to have a very difficult time uh, filling a lot of these jobs when people can't live and work uh, in the same area. So I would I would contend that the business community has a very vested interest in solving not just the rent problem, but also uh, the child care issue. Um, that said, I, you know, I, I agree, you know, uh, attacking this from a supply side um, uh, approach. Uh, you know, some of the, some of the pitches that I have made have just simply been, you know, let's just build more, not just, uh, you know, uh, properties for low income renters, but, all of the above, market rate rental, as well as, um, you know, uh, opportunities for home ownership, which I think is something that uh, sort of gets lost in translation here, uh, that, that we should be encouraging home ownership um, from the standpoint that it allows uh, the people who do own homes to build intergenerational wealth, um, they'll have something to pass on to their, their children, um, and that's not always the case with uh, folks that are renting. I, I read a statistic uh, uh, months ago about how um, uh, uh, homeowners have 44 times the net worth of renters. And I just feel if this, if this is going to be or we're going to try to promote a prosperous Ohio and America, we're going to have to encourage homeownership uh, to some degree, which gets into the the issue with the uh, institutional investors uh, playing a role with this. And in my district, um, and also in Rep. Isaacson's district, um, some of the big, uh, large private equity groups, even even pension funds, uh, are, are bankrolling some of these entities to buy up 
a lot of the single-family homes that not all, but a good chunk of them were owner-occupied and turning them into permanent rentals. Uh, So they're not actually adding to the housing stock. What's happening is they're pulling homes uh, out of the ownership column, which is decreasing the supply in that column, and adding them to the rental column. So uh, if you're wondering why, in many respects, the uh, the cost of uh, uh, purchasing a home has gone up. Well, when that starter home uh, is taken off the market because it has been purchased up by a large private equity outfit, uh, people who want to own have jumped to the next rung, rung up, and housing prices are just bid up higher and higher. Uh, at the same time, on the on the rent side, uh, the the model is to uh, try to get as much rent uh, out of these properties as you can. Um, and so the rents have been rising at the same time, and I think they've contributed uh, uh, greatly in, in great detrimental fashion to uh, the rise in, um, you know, rents and asset prices. But, but this is, you know, also just one piece of it. Uh, you mentioned local issues and solutions. I would agree with my, my colleague that uh, zoning issues are part of it as well. Um, I mean, you get into a lot of things, uh, not just that. You get into nimbyism. You get into um, lack of, of building. So it's, it's going to take a multi-pronged approach to solve this problem. Yeah, and, and for the audience, when we talk about affordable housing, uh, whether it's a rental unit or a home, uh, the quick back of the napkin, it's 30% of your income. And many Ohioans are well above that. And then you add in the child care, then you get into the situations that we discussed earlier. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Senate Bill 76 then since we raised that. You know, that it's an issue that I thought maybe was when I saw the testimony was a Cincinnati-based issue. But as, as I talk to more and more people around the state house, it turns out this is quite a thing facing many of the cities in Ohio whether it's a private equity firm or a series of LLCs that are then sold to individual investors who then buy that LLC and tech, technically then own the house and then uh, receive the rents uh, as part of their investment. So I'm not sure Senate Bill 76 is going to move much this session, but um, are there any alternatives um, to address the issue of fewer homes being available for ownership. You know, I, is there something in the private sector that could be done with homeowners associations or, or is this some other ideas that we could think about um, around some state solutions or local solutions to, to your point, Senator, where we can get this housing first run of housing for starter homes uh, back on the market for home ownership? Uh, yeah, thank you for that, Tony. I, I, well, I don't want to give up on Senate Bill 76 yet. I mean, I do recognize in its current form that it uh, uh, likely won't pass. However, um, you know, in talking to my colleagues who have issues with that, that, that bill, um, they're not opposed to the transparency piece in the legislation. Uh, they do feel, however, that uh, we should be giving the locals tools to deal with these uh, sorts of issues. So what I what I mean by that, or what I think they mean by that, uh, is not necessarily you know uh, going after the investors themselves, but giving the uh, you know cities, for example, tools to uh, enforce them uh, to fix the building code violations, pay their fines, and so forth, and so forth. 
as well as being more transparent about who is own who owns what uh, and how much of of the housing stock is owned by you know a particular entity, even if it's operating through uh, a number of LLCs. So I think in the long run, uh, what I would like to do with Senate Bill seventy six on the on the at least the transparency side, if I could get this, I would consider it a win is model something along the lines of uh, what was uh, done in Congress with the uh, Corporate Transparency Act. I do recognize that that was more of an anti-fraud, anti-terrorism uh, piece to see you know, uh, who, who the ultimate owners of these uh, shell companies were at that level. But uh, New York also had the LLC Transparency Act uh, that they recently passed. I, I don't know what the, the actual vote on that was, but um, uh, it did get through pretty quickly, and I, I think that's something we should look at uh, here in Ohio. As far as encouraging home ownership, um, I have some thoughts. I know that some folks want to, you know, try to approach this from the standpoint of what's in the budget with the Welcome Home Ohio program, uh, but that's a pretty expensive uh, way to go about it, and I, I told them as much when we were uh, discussing it um, because constructing new homes is very expensive while trying to shift some of these homes from the uh, uh, you know, currently rental column, even though that they were homeowners, uh, uh, opportun- or homeowner-oriented properties, shifting them back out of the rental column, I think, would be the lowest cost way to do this. And if if the approach is to be more free market-oriented, and having talked to some of my colleagues, I think they uh, agree with this to some extent, is shifting some of the incentives uh, that uh, bring a lot of these uh, institutional investors uh, to the forefront of this issue. So uh, one example that I brought up was uh, potentially getting rid of the uh, non-business credit uh, for uh, these uh, rental properties. So they'll get the 10% rollback now on one, two, three unit uh, single family homes that they're renting out. However, uh, the commercial space does not get that. So if you own an apartment uh, you're not getting that rollback. So potentially taking things like that away and pushing that into, uh, you know, construction of single-family housing uh, and requiring uh, those tax credits to be tied to some form of uh, ownership option would be one way to, to do that. But uh, generally speaking, shifting the incentives around, I think, would be a good way to encourage more homeownership. Perfect. And you mentioned the budget. Um we're getting down to the last days of the budget. So, uh, Representative Isaacson, we, you and I held a conversation before a committee hearing on the idea of getting interested parties together and find common goals to approach the need for more housing in Ohio. And since that conversation, uh, have, you, have you given some more thought to this issue? And do we kind of have time yet in this legislative session that ends in December of 2024 to work on some of, uh, of these ideas of getting like an IP group together and start to, to build on these ideas? I absolutely think we do. Uh, and I have started to have a lot of those really productive conversations with multifamily housing developers, single home builders, you know, the folks who represent realtors. But I want to just show you how this plays out in someone's day-to-day life, especially with what the senator was talking about with these LLCs that own all of these properties. You have an issue in your rental. It wasn't that good to begin with. You're overpaying. You can't get water. The water stops working. 
it's 95 degrees outside. You've got two young kids. And you call the management company. They don't answer. The phone's off the hook. Or they give you the runaround. And you have no idea. You cannot find who is your actual landlord. You cannot get anyone to pick up the phone when you have no running water. This is a real story from Cincinnati that happened last year. So we can talk about it in the abstract, but in, the, in practical terms in people's day-to-day lives, when we allow institutional investors, which is a new phenomenon in housing, when we allow private equity from either other parts of the country or often other parts of the world to use LLCs so that no one knows who's the, who is their landlord to deal with these critical issues, we create an environment like the one we have now where not only is rent unaffordable or is there so few choice for people in terms of housing, but the quality of what you're living in is, is not good. So I think a lot of people are recognizing that. So on the optimistic side to your question, you know, I think there are we're in a situation where the whole country is dealing with this. Ohio is not unique. Cincinnati, to your point, is unique, uniquely at the top of the list in terms of rising rents. But Kansas City is right up there with us. You know, there, there are other cities all over the country dealing with this. And so it's a question of who's going to be the first to get creative and to, to do an all-hands-on-deck approach. That means working with single-home builders to make concrete more affordable and deal with the monopoly in that market. It means, you know, dealing with these exploitative practices in the, with these institutional investors and getting private equity uh, and its unhealthy stake in the market probably out of the market and promoting more small small mom-and-pop landlords that take care of their property and use it as a way to pay for their kids' college. Right? It gets creative with looking at what the federal government does with 502 uh, loans that guarantee um, home loans for, in rural areas that have been incredibly effective at getting people to, into home ownership. What can the city and state do to use similar types of loan guarantees to get people in more urban areas into home ownership, right? There's all sorts of creative things we can do. And I think we are at such a crisis point that people are starting to come together to, you know, let's figure out where, where the center of the Venn diagram is for what we're willing to do. Right. So those are good points. And, and here at the Ohio Chamber, we have a housing task force. Uh, you, you both have attended that. Um, I think we continue to look for ways to partner with uh, you both and others at the General Assembly uh, to work on these issues. And maybe Senate Bill 76 is the vehicle that could become the framework for maybe a a more of a larger approach to some of these issues. I, I really do think Ohio needs its version of a Marshall Plan to get to some of these issues. For the young audience out there, the Marshall Plan was... <laughs> was a plan to rebuild Western Europe after World War II. Is there a young audience? <laughs> I'm thinking there might be, just in case. At least just my kids listen, so in, in, in case they don't know about the Marshall Plan. So before we go, uh, would you like to add any final thoughts uh, for the audience, young or old? <laughs> you know, I think my, the the thing that I've been emphasizing to people is this is central for everything else we want to do. If you don't... It's hard to keep a job if you don't have stable housing. It's hard to do well in school if you're constantly moving from apartment to apartment. And so for everything else, housing is fundamental. And the good news is there is money to be made. There are profits to be made in a much more sustainable way. There are genuine win-wins in housing policy if we are just 
intentional and thoughtful about getting there. So it can be good for developers, it can be good for home builders, it can be good for landlords, and most importantly, it can be good for renters and homeowners and people if we continue down this path of being really thoughtful about making sure that everyone has access to housing that they both want to live in and can afford to live in. Yeah, uh, amen to that. Um, totally agree. I subscribe to the the school of thought that, you know, it all boils down to housing uh, as one of your largest uh, expenses and that getting the absolute number or value of uh of rent and home prices down, not just slowing the rate of increase, uh, is vitally important uh, in this state. And you know, I, I would say that uh, you know, as we go through this general assembly, I know there will be talks of uh, uh, study commissions and things like that, which I'm, I'm supportive of. But at the same time, I do think that uh, you know, it's such a, a uh, you know dire problem. Uh, uh, such an urgent problem that that uh, we really should be working on this in, in bipartisan fashion um, as we go along for the rest of this legislative session. And I know a number of people are understandably down on on uh, politicians, the government generally, but but to see some relief uh, on on an issue like this, um, I think would do uh, a lot of good in reversing. Uh, you know, that attitude that a lot of people have towards government. And I think, uh, again, uh, we can we can get a lot of good work done in this General Assembly. Okay, well, thank you again, uh, Senator Blessing and Representative Isaacson for joining me today. One last thing. Let's go Reds. <laughs>